Welcome, friends. You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And this is the place where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. A few of my favorite ordinary things are hitting snooze on the alarm clock, hot coffee with heavy cream, and a new local cafe with great writing spots. Lisa Joe, I love wrapping up in a cozy cardigan, going for long walks on cold afternoons, and warming up around a real fire. All right, friends, here's today's conversation. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, I'm sure quite a few of our listeners are aware that each week with each new podcast episode, you and I also send out an email to our subscribers with uh, behind the scenes photos and just background to each conversation. And so I sent out the email last week and I asked our uh, email subscribers to give us ideas, <laughs> basically. I was asking them if they had listened to our bonus episode. We did the something new, that bonus podcast uh, for Christmas, and we want to do more of those. And so I said, hey, if you have ideas for what you'd like to see in those, just hit reply to this email. And I think you you got a really fun reply, didn't you? Yeah, we got a few replies. So you guys should know if you hit reply to our subscriber emails, it shows up right in our inbox and Christy and I read them and try to reply to as many as we can. So if you're wondering, how do I get on that list? It's really easy. You just go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com backslash email and sign up. And so we got this really fun email from Lori Murphy. And we are, Lori, when we got that email pop up, and I think I replied to her right away and said, oh, this is great. We're going to use this and we're going to use it today <laughs> right away <laughs> because we loved your suggestions so much. So it won't be a bonus episode. It'll be one that everybody can tune into, obviously, since you're listening right now. But Lori said she had liked that in our bonus Christmas episode, we had shared our favorite books for the Christmas season. And if you're wondering what that is, you can go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com slash bonus. But Lori had said, what if Christy and I did a conversation where we shared not our favorite books, but some of our favorite words, which as writers, immediately my brain started going, tick, 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 like, what are my favorite words? And I spent the last few days just keeping a notes app open on my phone and writing down words I love. But Lori shared some of her favorite words, which are, they're so good. And I, part of what we have to talk about, Christy, is like, what makes something a favorite word? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's definitely like just the sounds in your mouth of the word. And hers are so great. She has pugnacious, crimson, undulant and enduring and she Ooh, says I like that. all of these words often have links to things that we cherish and i thought oh that's so good you're right like it's not just the sound of the word the word is like an arrow and it's what the word is pointing to often that makes the word meaningful Mm -hmm. I loved in the email, because you sent it on to make sure I saw it too, that Lori mentions a book, which is also a favorite book of mine. So I went and got the book off my shelf right away. <laughs> it's called um, Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies by Marilyn McIntyre. Excellent book. And I'm just going to briefly read just a couple sentences. Um, highly recommend the book. We're not really going to dive into the content of this book in this episode, but if you're interested in the just the whole concept of caring for language and loving words, I definitely recommend this one. So she says, to call upon another analogy, if language 
is to retain its power to nourish and sustain our common life. We have to care for it in something like the way good farmers care for the life of the soil, knowing nothing worth eating can be grown in soil that has been used up, over-fertilized, or exposed to too many toxic chemicals. And I love that because last week, I know actually in several of our, our episodes, but I think in the, the two New Year's episodes um, that we just uh, that just aired, we talk about maybe this being a year for us, Lisa Joe, where we are thinking about our lives as soil, as good soil, and what does it look like to care for um, the soil of our ordinary lives. So I love that right away, um, she's comparing a love of language and caring for language as um, with this farming metaphor, because, you know, if we are people who value truth, <laughs> I mean, we, it's not only that we love books and we love to read, but we value truth, right? That's what so many of our conversations are about, like digging down deep. There's that metaphor again, digging down deep into the stories of our lives in order to, to see the truth, in order to see things truly. And if we're not caring for words and paying attention to them, then how do we even, how do we express the truth? How do we um, discover the truth. We we might be confused about the truth because we don't have the right words to access it, and all of that is is what um, Marilyn talks about in this book. So, highly recommend that one. I don't know. What do we do? Do we just start throwing out words we well, love, I, or I love <laughs> where do we go talk- from here? I mean, I just to me, this is the behind the scenes of words. You you know, we sharing this passage from the from this book, but then you talking about truth, and then of course with our faith, we believe Jesus calls Himself the way, the life, and the truth. There's something about words that is incredibly powerful. And you know how it is. And the we word. both have kids. Yeah, the word. Right, right. But we both have kids who will often use words and I what really frustrates me, these throwaway ways where they're insulting to one another, but then they say, Oh, it's just joking, you know, I didn't mean it. Oh, why are you taking it so seriously? And in our family, we have quite a lot of conversations about the power of our words. I mean, Scripture talks about the metaphor of the tongue and how it can be like a wildfire, like how the tongue is like a tiny spark, but it can grow into a wildfire. The things we say, and we're living, we're currently living in a culture where words are, I mean, they're like carpet bombs, the way they can be used online, on Twitter, in social media, on the news stories, uh, the power of words we have seen to destroy and inflame. Mm-hmm. But then we've also seen the power of words to call people close, to make them feel safe, to create what feels like home and a safe space. And as we record this, we sit here in Christie's room, and I have the same at my house, a room full of books, you know, like surrounded by words as we have conversations, as we write books. And you and I, as stewards of words, I think feel at a very core level the significance of words beyond just how they sound, but how we use them. And we see that played out in our families and on the news. Absolutely. That whole thing about sticks and stones, mm. not true. <laughs> words are so not powerful. Not true. Uh, Lisa Joe, I thought as you're talking um, about home, so I have a word on my list here that is, I realize, oh, it's a home word for me. It's It reminds me of childhood and childhood, uh, you know, my first home, and it's like, it's just homey. So the word is um, pudding. Oh, what a great <laughs> word, pudding. See, I've been curious if we're going to have the same words or not. I wonder. So I love the word pudding. I love how it sounds. I love how in the South we might say pudding. 
Um, and it reminds me of especially banana pudding, banana pudding, which was, is like the state dessert of Texas. I've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, it was my, it is my father's favorite dessert. I'm sure my mother who was from San Francisco, not Texas had probably never eaten banana pudding until she was an adult, but she would make it faithfully for my dad for father's day and special occasions. And um, I love to make it, um, but I also, I think I like the word too, putting, so it's a home word to me, it's a childhood word, it's a word with roots, it's a word, I like how it sounds, almost how it tastes, but it's also, getting back to love of books and reading, um, it's a very British word, yes. and you know, yes. <laughs> most of the books and the television I consume um, is British, and of course, it means something slightly different. It's not just the custard that I would be thinking of here in the U.S., but it's pudding. It's the word for every dessert, and I kind of want to adopt that. I wish, it ju- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just want to say pudding for everything, so every time I eat something sweet, it's going to be, maybe it'll be my my pudding. <laughs> right, because that was the question we had as children growing up. Is there pudding today? Not not meaning the custard, but is there going to be some form of sweet after the meal? I love that pudding. So I think this is a fun, I think what we'll start out doing is popcorning back and forth, which is another great word, sharing some of our favorite words, and then each every now and again, digging deeper, because I think there are always bigger stories behind words. When you talk about pudding, I think a word in that category for me is snuggle. It's a good home word too, right? It's a cozy word. It makes me think of all the blankets that we have always in our living room. And my kids, one of their favorite things to do, and I have trained them well in these ways, is to walk in the door after school, take off their school uniforms and change into what we call our comfy clothes, which are just like ratty sweatpants, old Christmas pajamas you wear all year round and get under a blanket and snuggle with preferably a cup of hot tea and maybe some popcorn as a snack when you get home. So for me, that word is such comfort. But it's also a word that even as my kids get older, even as I have teenage boys, when a teenage boy deigns to snuggle with you, it (laughs) is just like this golden moment you barely move. And the other night, Peter was like yelling down the hallway, like, what is going on? Like, it's way past bedtime. Why is everybody still in mom's room? And I told him afterwards, listen to me. We were watching a show and the boys were on either side of me and had snuggled in under the blankets and were resting their heads on either of my shoulders. And nothing except the coming of Jesus would have made me move out of that moment where my teenage sons were snuggling with their mother. Uh, so snuggle for me is a word of home and companionship and safety. I love it. You know, as I was thinking about words for this conversation, Lisa Joe, I mean, like you, I was approaching it as a writer. And so I was thinking, what are the words that are always, always coming up for me when I'm writing? I think though this could, I mean, this could apply to anyone. You know, when you're sending an email, you're filling out a greeting card or something, like what are the words you're always using, always coming back to, or in conversation with your friends, you know, the words that you're always using. And I think I thought of a whole bunch. And I know... I almost have a, I don't know, I guess I have a complicated relationship with these words because I worry that I use them too much. You know, as a writer, you always want to be using fresh new language. You don't want to be just using the same words over and over. But I don't know, love it or hate it, these are the words that um, just crop up for me all the time. So I know that I use words like starlight and moonlight all the time. I love those words. I love the images they evoke. I love how they make me feel 
cool and shivery, and it's just this really cool, silvery kind of beauty. And a word that I don't like is sunlight. <laughs> oh, interesting. Funny. It makes me think of like blazing hot days in and Texas. how the sun, like, it makes me think of Texas growing up and the, the way the sun would reflect off of like bright white sidewalks and be so horrible. So yeah, I love starlight and moonlight and not sunlight so much. That's so interesting. I was thinking, it's funny, our brains kind of tracked along the same ways. I was thinking about words, not that I write all the time, but that I say a lot. Because often if I'm listening to episodes of the podcast we've recorded, I'll be like, why do I use that word all the time? And so if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you might recognize this, but I use delicious quite a lot. Like when I'm talking about, oh, that was just so delicious, but I don't just use it in relation to food, I will use it in relation to a memory or a moment or something that was really meaningful to me. Um, I'll talk about how things are um, precious, like that was just so precious or so dear. And that's a word I become really annoyed with myself for overusing. <laughs> I don't like using it. But I also like to use words that are nouns and then turn them into verbs especially in my writing. And one of my favorites for that, and I actually have had to stop using it because you can only do that so many times, but I like to use the word pretzel when I'm describing maybe like how when my kids were little, like when they were toddlers and they come into the bed at night when they're scared and then they're like pretzeled up in you, right? Like your limbs and their limbs are pretzeled together. So you become like one entity. And I just like that picture of how a pretzel is all intertwined and intertwisted. And when my kids were little, that is how they would sometimes snuggle with us. So I do enjoy turning a good noun into a verb. I've been known to do the same thing with the word mother or to mom. Um, I like to turn that into a verb as well. And I'm probably not the only one who does that, but I do enjoy playing with words that way too. That reminds me, the pretzel one, I love that. It reminds me that all words are metaphors. So if you, here I'll kind of dig back into my old academic self, <laughs> the English professor self. Um, if you go back in history, if you study etymology, I mean, words always began um, with metaphors. And then we often lose the metaphor. We don't know what that metaphor was, but we just, we hang on to the word. But some fresh new words or younger words were very aware of the metaphor, um, so pretzel, I love that because you use that, like you, you're trying to describe something that we may not even have a, we may not have a word for in our language, or maybe we have one, but it's not adequate to the experience. And so what you're doing, and this, gosh, I think this is what Marilyn is talking about in her book, Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies, is that if we, um, if we value lives that are full of rich experience, and gosh, that's what our podcast is about, right? How rich ordinary life is. Um, we might lose touch with some of the experiences that are so valuable if we don't have words for them. And so, and sometimes that might mean like inventing words or reimagining words or um, thinking about the metaphors, you know, in order to come up with new words. So I could see pretzel like giving people access to something wonderful about mothering young children that maybe wasn't accessible to them without the word. So that is why this stuff matters. Oh my gosh, I can start to get really passionate about this. I love that we're having this conversation too, because one of the 
gifts that I gave my children over Christmas is a book. I think it's fairly new. It's a gorgeous book. Um, I can show you here, Lisa Joe, but maybe I'll snap a picture of it and put it in our behind-the-scenes email because it's so beautiful. It has to be seen as well as heard. But the book is called The Lost Words, uh, Robert McFarlane and Jackie Morris. And um, the idea behind this book is that these writers realized that when a new edition of a children's dictionary came out, I think it was, oh gosh, I'll have to put the, we'll have to put in the show notes. I don't remember what the dictionary was, but they noticed that the new edition of the children's dictionary had lost many words and they had been replaced by words like digital, voicemail, like technology words. But the words that had been lost were all nature words. Really? They were nature words. Yes, yes. So they were words like fern, heron, flipping through the pages of the book right now, adder is a kind of snake. So they were all things that, um, you know, were once a part of children's daily lives. And so the words showed up in the dictionary. But now, of course, our children's daily lives um, are, you know, <laughs> mediated more by technology than nature. And so these writers are really bothered by that. And they thought, what happens if the children, number one, aren't exposed to the actual things? And also, then they're not giving access to the words. Like, what happens? Do they lose any concept of what it is to walk through a spring woods where the green wet ferns are just starting to uncurl and tease your ankles or what, whatever. So they created this book and I love that it's called The Lost Words, A Spell Book mm. because what they're doing is they're using the word combined with poetry, combined with gorgeous paintings to sort of evoke the world of the word or the bigger picture of the word and not just like a dictionary would do, here's the word and here's the definition, but a spell book, a kind of enchantment they're, they're trying to weave, which brings me to one of my favorite words that I way overuse. <laughs> and, I, and I question it because I feel like it's a word that could be misunderstood, but a word I love is magic. Mm. Magic. I use it all the time. And I'm not really talking about wizards and witches. <laughs> I'm talking about some quality that is surprising and wonderful and wondrous and mysterious. And so I use the word magic, and I know I use it too often, but I love it. It's so interesting that you talk about that spell book. I love that because, of course, the play on the word, like spelling and spell magic, yes. right? Oh, I hadn't even and, thought of that. That's so, so good. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, adder, I'm familiar with that too. And there are a lot of words. I, I often wonder if having grown up in a culture that is multifaceted in its languages, like we did in South Africa, there are insights into words that other people don't always hear themselves if you haven't learned the Germanic or the Dutch roots of words. And I remember my husband, there are things that strike me as really funny, but then when nobody else has that context, they don't get it. And it's really disappointing. So my husband teaches at a program in Washington, D.C. called the American Studies Program, and the acronym is ASP. And so when I first arrived, I saw ASP everywhere. And are you familiar with the word ASP? I am. Yes. So you know From what books. It, you yes, <laughs> you know what it means, right? It's another word for snake. Yeah. And but nobody else knew that. And so I kept telling people, isn't it so funny? We're at the ASP program and they all looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> 
And I felt like there's all this double entendre because we're in politics. It's located on Capitol Hill. It's like proclaiming itself the ASP everywhere. And I just thought it was so funny that nobody else had access to what that meant. And of course, you know, that makes me so happy. But I remember when I was a freshman in college taking a literary class, and I believe it was actually Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. And we had the translation, like, sort of the old English on one page and on the page next to it, like, the modern English, so we could read it more easily. And um, I remember our professor spent, like, a long period of the lecture one time, like, going through specific words in the old English and then explaining to the class what they meant or where they came from. And I grew more and more frustrated with him and kept thinking, like, does he think we're idiots? Like, how stupid does he think we are? Why is he explaining the obvious to us? Like, we're in college. I, it's not high school. And I went up to him after class and I was so mad. And I kept, I essentially expressed that to him. Why are you taking up all this class time teaching us basic words that like a second grader knows? I don't understand that. And he looked at me so confused, like, what are you talking about? And I said, everybody knows. I mean, it's the Gaelic and the Dutch roots, and this is from the German, and it's very close to Afrikaans. And he was like, Lisa Joe, nobody else in this class speaks those languages. <laughs> and it was the first time, because remember, I'm a freshman coming from South Africa. The first time I was in a communal learning experience with other people who did not have these languages as a backdrop. And it was so surprising to me. And I literally, the penny dropped, and I realized, oh, they don't, they didn't know. They didn't understand those definitions that just came to me like breathing. So that was a big learning experience for me. I think it's one of the reasons I've always loved the word interpreter. I love that because it's different than translator. A translator is someone who like word for word tries to translate a matching word, but an interpreter is someone who tries to match the meaning behind the word. So not just a one-to-one -one translation, but instead is trying to actually give you the weight of the meaning conveyed in those words, which is why I think translations of the Bible, like the message version or the passion, are so powerful because they really aren't direct translations. They're much more akin to an interpretation so that we feel the weight of the metaphor that you lose in a direct translation. Oh, I like that. And if we think about uh, maybe what some, like the danger of a lost word is that we lose the tool by which we would interpret certain experiences. And then my fear is, my concern is, then do we lose access to that experience? So one word on my list, but I can't take full credit for it. It's a word I love, but it actually is a word that Marilyn talks about in her book as well, is the word felicity. Oh. Felicity. And I so love I that word. And now I'm not, I think I know what it means, but I'm totally thinking of the TV show, first of all, before I'm oh. thinking of anything else. <laughs> I did not even think of that. <laughs> I mean, is I it, never is saw it that show, but the, I know what you're talking about. Is it connected yeah, to I, the word felicitation? Of, yeah. So, you know, to be honest, I didn't even look, I meant to actually look it up to be sure you know, because my sense of its meaning by, might be a little off as well, but I didn't look it up. So this is just coming from me. But I know if you read, um, you know, 18th century books, like if you read Jane Austen, or I read, of course, a lot of British literature from, from those years, you'll see this word felicity all the time. But I mean, have you ever, okay, other than the TV show, <laughs> like, do you ever hear anyone use it? I mean, they'll say maybe if I'm reading in a book, I'll hear felicitations as a greeting yes, at the end of a, a letter point. or a sign off. But I like felicity. Is it a noun when you use it that way? 
Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of happiness, really. Okay. I think of it as like a flavor of happiness, but it's a happiness that is connected to thinking, to rational thinking. It's a happiness that is very considered. It's um, a happiness that says, I'm content. I have enough. This life is good. And so I feel felicity. Um, it isn't uh, a happiness or a joy that you don't understand or takes you by surprise, but it's a very like rational, considered kind of feeling. So it is a feeling, but it's very much connected with almost like a decision. Um, I know that, so someone might say that, you know, they might f- feel a sense of felicity because they know that they have a roof over their heads, they have food in their pantry, they have, their needs are met, you know, they have friendships in their life. And so maybe they also have other things that aren't going so well, but they can be content where they are and experience a sense of felicity because they're they're sort of taking everything into account in a really rational, wise way. I think it has a lot of wisdom in it. But if we lose a word like that, and now we just have happiness. Or contentment, which is such a, I don't enjoy that word at all. Felicity is a much more delicious word to say. It is, right? And I think it gives like a positive spin to something that really could enrich our lives, but I don't think it's something our culture values, right? Our culture values the pursuit of happiness. Our culture values like, you know, I need to, every single thing I do needs to be the best and the most meaningful. I, you know, we're in a consumer society where we're making all these decisions all the time and we're kind of taught or the idea is that if we're not always making the best choices all the time, that somehow our lives are less than and holding on to a word like felicity says, no, 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 no. <laughs> my life is full of good. My life is also full of hard. But I can experience felicity every day. And it's a kind of peace. It's like, a, I think it was like a peaceful state of happiness versus the, oh my gosh, I have the best of everything. Everything is going, you know, 100% perfectly well everything is you know it's like that lego movie what it le- like <laughs> everything is awesome <laughs> yes. everything is awesome our culture says i hate everything the is word awesome. awesome everything has to be awesome and in jane austen it's like no 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 no. not everything is awesome but felicity is accessible to me always so, so yeah i love that word i feel like awesome is one of those words so deeply and profoundly overused particularly in america so words are cultural too so growing up in south africa this is one of those funny cultural twists my father i remember him telling us as children if we happened to use the word awesome no no awesome we only use are you nodding christy's nodding her head you only use it in the context of god did you have this growing up my dad would tell us the same thing. No, are you yes. serious? Mm-hmm. And so I actually flinched when I hear people using it in conversations still because of that. Like it's so programmed into me <laughs> that awesome is a word associated with God. And yet we use it like as a five cent word here all the right. time. You know, I think it also would come up in conversation in my family because at that time there was that very popular Rich Mullins song, Our God, Our God is an Awesome God. Yes, Do you yes. remember that song? I, of course. Yeah, and I felt, and so I remember being sort of exposed to the idea that we might use that word casually, but Rich Mullins was using it in the proper sense. Yes, you know, I had the exact same experience. Because <laughs> so funny. Well, then I'm totally going to completely commit heresy and change tracks here because the thing I like about words is they're so sensual. 
you really roll the syllables around in your mouth. And it's something I know because one of my sons has a bit of a speech impediment. So often his words all get sort of trapped inside his lips. And I'm always telling him, enunciate, which is a fun word. Use your mouth. Stretch all the parts of your mouth. Let the word roll around all the parts of your mouth. And so here's just a list of words that feel that way to me. They feel very sensual. Um, Lilac, peony, tulips, magenta, and then aphrodisiac. It's such a great word. Like everything about that word is, I think, what that word is trying to be. I love love it so much. And then I have words that are sort of in that vein, but really, oh my gosh, such powerful memories attached to them. So I like the word liqueur, you know, like a liqueur Mm -hmm. that you would drink after dinner. In South Africa, there's a liqueur called amarula. Oh, isn't that a great word, Amarula? And you could really roll the R too, like Amarula, if you were saying it in Afrikaans. And the Amarula is actually a tree that grows in South Africa, and it has these big fruits, the Amarula fruit, that's almost the size of a small papaya, like they're quite big. But what happens is the fruit ferments, and then it drops to the ground. And when it's highly fermented, it's very funny. You could do this. Google this with your children. If you Google monkeys, amarula fruit, there are all these videos of these monkeys getting totally drunk (laughs) off of the amarula fruit and just dropping out of trees. Or like they try to jump from one tree to another and then miss the branch and just come like barrel. It is so funny. But the funniest are the giraffes because they eat it and then their whole neck starts to sway and they're trying to walk and they're totally drunk off this fruit, which is is very common in Africa. Isn't that so cool? The Amarula tree. And so in Afrikaans, the Amarula, and they make this liqueur called Amarula. You can actually buy it here in the States. It's A-M-A-R-U-L-A, Amarula. And so they make this liqueur that's an after-dinner drink that my whole like teenage years, I remember my dad often after dinner would have a glass of Amarula. But when I think about those words, liqueur, Amarula, jasmine goes with that for me too. And you know, I have strong connections to the jasmine plant. It was what my mom had planted in her garden. My whole childhood, summer, spring evenings smelled of jasmine. And I have this memory that is so powerful. When I smell jasmine, I am immediately 16 again, or I'm 18. I just, these phases of my life. But one of my most powerful memory that kind of is the trifecta of all those words is when I had my first kiss, Christy. I associate with these words. And I remember the boy and his motorcycle and being parked outside in our driveway under the jasmine with my very first kiss and walking back into the house. And at the time, my mom was in hospital so it's just my dad. And it's one of those moments, you know, where you're like, oh my gosh, like this big movie moment has happened. And what do I do with everything that's bubbling up inside of me? And I walked back in. I will never forget this beautiful moment with my father. He turned to look at me and clearly he knew, right? Because the boy had walked outside to say goodnight <laughs> for a long period of time. And now I walk back in and he had poured All he did is he had poured a glass of Amarula and he turned to me and handed it to me, raised his glass to me, and then just kept watching TV. 
And it was one of those beautiful <laughs> moments of him acknowledging something very magical that had happened outside beneath the jasmine. And I felt like Amarula in my glass, Amarula in my veins. And it's one of those beautiful coming of age memories that those words will forever be associated with for me. Oh, I love it. I don't have anything to top that. I just love that you use the word. I love that you use the word magical <laughs> to describe it. Magical. Yes, That's my I always word. think of you now when I use that. Another word I love. Here we go. I almost said it is lovely. Lovely. I I just find that it taps into something I always want to call attention to, which are the more like subtle pleasures, right? Not the things that are over-the-top beautiful or gorgeous, like gorgeous. Oh, see, that's a word that sounds good to me, but I don't like it. I don't use it. Gorgeous. It, to it's me, like it sounds... Pre- is it a pretentious word? No. Like, I feel like some words have attitudes. Like, yeah. some of them are too showy. <laughs> They're trying too hard. I think it's it's a loud word. It's shouting. Yeah. Things that are gorgeous, I think, are too much, too bright, too, too beautiful. I don't know. But a word like lovely is I picture something quiet, soft, subtle, maybe other people aren't noticing, but oh, look there in the corner, something so lovely. So that's a word that that I use a lot. But isn't this interesting? Like as we explore these words, we're thinking about experiences, aspects of life. And it's like we're remembering to treasure them again or honor them. Ooh, honor is a word I love. Oh, it's a good one. Yes. So we're honoring those moments. I don't know. I, I don't think I quite expected this when we began the conversation, but I'm realizing if we are all about learning to see our ordinary lives and to see their goodness and to appreciate their goodness and to care for them and to honor our ordinary daily lives. One way to do that is to think about words, think about language and think about the proper words for our ordinary lives. And maybe they are smaller words, quieter words for some of us, but I don't know, to me, those are just some of the best words, I think. I think it's why I have such a pet peeve about how teenagers text these days, how they don't actually use words. They don't even use capital letters. Like How they just <laughs> use like, I don't even understand the, the array of acronyms that they use really, really annoys me. Um, and I talk to my own children about that, which I'm sure really, really annoys them. But I've also been known to tell my kids when they're trying to tell me something and they're just like speeding through it, I always go, hold on, Tell me the whole story. Like, you're bringing me into the middle. I don't understand where it began. Where is it going? What am I supposed to take from it? And then they're like, oh, my gosh, mom. Like, I'm just trying to tell you this thing quickly. And I always want to tell them, but your story matters. Your words matter. I will remember this. Like, slow down enough to loop me in if you think it matters. Do not <laughs> do not text with me, like, just the letter K when I tell you I am on my way to pick you up. No, like, I'm going to need you to expand a little bit on that. Like, it drives me insane. And of course, there's a time and a place for that. But I do think what I'm trying to give my kids is the gift of words. I, I want them to know that words matter. It's why when they are introducing me to a new song that they like, I'll ask them, what lyrics do you really like? What stood out to you? What lyrics do you remember? And then we talk about the meaning behind the lyrics. Is it good that those lyrics are stuck in your mind? Like, do you want to carry that with you all day or not? And so I love that we get to do that with our kids is introduce them to how some words are just really, really tasty by nature. Mm -hmm. I love that you are asking for more of the story or the whole story, because the last on my list here, I kind of cheated. (laughs) It's not a word. It's actually four words. 
but it's a short little phrase, so I felt like it, it would count. And it is once upon, upon a, a time, time. I knew it was going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so good? Once so upon a time. Good. It sends chills and down your spine. That's what we do here. We tell stories because, oh, there's nothing like realizing you're about to settle in for someone's story. It's just the best. And I think that's why my favorite phrase, one of them that I'll end with because it seems appropriate, is actually it's an Afrikaans phrase. In English, we say goodbye, you know, and which has a finality to it. We might say farewell, which is a little less final. Um, But for someone like me who's grown up with homesickness, a large part of my journey, and I have words like wanderlust on my list, you know, and um, meridian. I like these ideas of place that anchor me to my world and my stories. I love the word escarpment and Karoo and Zululand. These are places that I'm from. But I do sometimes still run into the sense that the word in English isn't enough. It doesn't scratch the itch quite what I'm trying to communicate. My kids know this about me. I'll be like, and then (laughs) be so frustrated to try to figure out the right English word. But I love this phrase in Afrikaans, tot since, which is spelled T-O-T, and then the next word is S-I-E-N-S, which I think is actually quite similar to the French phrase, which I'm sorry about my pronunciation, but I believe it's abintois, uh-huh. which means essentially till I see you, yes. which isn't goodbye. It is, And it also acknowledges that I will see you again. I like the hope. Oh, hope is a good word. I like the hope that's attached to that idea. And in English, we would say till I see you again, but doesn't have quite the flair of an abintois or a totsins, which I think is just a beautiful parting where every time I say goodbye, airport is one of my least favorite words. But every time I'm in those places, it's the idea of till I see you again. I will see you again. I long to see you again. So for our listeners, that's how we feel every week. It's not a goodbye. It's always till we see you again, till we have a conversation again. And I don't know about you, Christy, but I'm super curious now about what other people's favorite words are. And I would love if you guys wanted to tag Christy or I on social media. Christy is at Christy Purifoy and I'm at Lisa Joe Baker. However, I won't see yours for quite a long time since I'm not on at the moment. But Christy will send me screenshots if they're I good will. ones. But um, <laughs> go ahead and shoot us your favorite words and not just the words themselves, but the why. The why behind the words. Farewell, friends. Farewell, Lisa Joe. I love it. Maybe it'll be our new sign off. Tot since. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.